This is Changing Channels with Larry Walsh, the Channelnomics podcast that connects you with channel chiefs, thought leaders, and executives about what it takes to get the next generation of tech to market. Here's your host, Larry Walsh, the CEO and Chief Analyst of Channelnomics. Hey everyone, welcome back to Changing Channels. Since I started in the channel, I've heard the same familiar refrain from channel chiefs and program managers and partner account managers that they want the right partners. I mean, don't we all? If we just had the right partners, channels would be easy. Money would flow like snowmelt down the side of a mountain. We could coast along quarter after quarter until President's Club. Yeah, but getting the right partners ain't so easy. Whenever someone comes to me saying that they want to find and sign up the right partners, I tell them to sit back while I run into the back room because that's where I've been hiding all of them. They're just waiting for someone to come along just like them. Uh, of course, being a little facetious when I say that, the truth is the right partner is a bit of a myth, if not a misnomer. A partner's appropriateness for a vendor's go-to-market needs and programs require alignment with the right product vendor brand and product marketability and the sales economics, as well as the partner's alignment and capabilities, capacity, and a willingness to invest. Um, It's a pretty tall order, which is probably why the average vendor generates about 95% of its indirect revenue through less than 5% of its partners. That's also probably the reason why so many channel people say they want the right partners. You know, in our annual Channel Chief Outlook study, 83% of channel professionals say they're being challenged in getting partners to meet their sales goals and revenue expectations. It's an endless pursuit to identify, recruit, enable, and, and engage partners that will self-actualize in the market, hunt for new, net new opportunities, and build books of business that accelerate revenue growth. We haven't talked about this issue directly on Changing Channels, so I figured not only would we take it head on, but we also have a true veteran to discuss it with. Joining me to discuss the right partners is someone who knows a thing or two about channel programs and partnership, Todd Palmer. He's the Senior Vice President of Global Partner Sales at Tanium. Um, and over the last 20 years, Todd's seen a lot in the channel. Prior to joining Tanium, he was a Senior Vice President of Worldwide uh, Strategic Partners and Alliances at Hitachi Ventara. He was Vice President of Worldwide Channels at Cohesity. He's Vice President of America's Channel Sales at Palo Alto Networks. He was the Vice President of America Channels at NetApp and Vice President of Global Partner Programs and Marketing at Computer Associates. And that's a big resume. Suffice to say, we have a true expert in the house today. So with that, welcome to Changing Channels, Todd Palmer. Excellent. Thanks, Larry. It's good to have you. So, you know, as I said in the intro, it's like I've never addressed this topics head on about the right partner. So, you know, from your perspective, what how would you describe having the right partner, this entire this entire unicorn of only the the right ones are going to work for us? How do you describe that? Well, the the right partner will vary dramatically based upon the company and the market that you sell in your technology, but for us, you know, the right partner is a little bit different. We sell into the largest of large enterprise down into sort of the mid-size enterprise. And so we look at partners that will serve certain purposes that we're looking for in the largest customers in the world and then the smallest customers. So the right partner for us varies by market segment. We, we need partners help in the largest customers if we're going to do a global deployment or integrate Tanium into something else. In the mid-size enterprise, we're looking for scale and resources and access and partners to take certain activities away so it can make us more efficient and make our customers more successful. So 
it's a hard question and I think it varies by market segment and by vendor. Yeah. So, but why is this? I mean, because like, one of the things, as I, 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 as I said in the intro and I've talked, you and I've talked about this in the past and I've talked about this with others is that people in your position or at least the, even like your program managers that are underneath you, they tend to frame this up as they, the partners they have today aren't, the good partners like the, you know, that they've got they've spoiled somehow and they need to go out and get fresh ones. Uh, and I've told them, I was like, look, you have to recognize that, that your worst partner is somebody else's best partner. So why, where does this entire, this entire perception that we, we, there's always some batch of good partners somewhere else. Where does that come from? I don't know. <clears throat> and I, I don't agree with that either. In fact, you know, if I look at the partners that we have and the topic always comes up because inevitably your sales organization knows someone at a company and they might want to do business or whatever it is. Um, but you could always grow more with the partners that have already invested in your business than you can finding new ones out in the marketplace. <clears throat> and so I don't, I don't agree with that statement that says, hey, we always got to be constantly looking for more and better partners to do business with. There's so much more opportunities with the partners that you're already doing business with. You know, if you think about any organization on the planet, right, they've, they're broken down into regions and geographies and areas and countries, and they're all a little bit different. And the opportunity you have to continue to scale your business with each one of them um, is significant. Even in our best partners at every company I've ever worked for, we could easily grow 50, 75, a hundred percent more in terms of business we were doing with them than we currently were. And that's at every company I've worked with. So yeah, I'm not the big believer of let's go find, because there's that perfect partner that we just haven't met yet. Yeah. You know, in, Looking at your your resume, I mean, you've worked with some really fantastic companies over the years. So you know, Palo Alto, Cohesity, NetApp. You know, I would imagine that when you walk in the door, you take you know, you're sitting down as a new challenge chief in one of these organizations. This is probably one of the first conversations that come up. Like, oh, we got to get the right partners. We got to get the new partners in, and and look past the ones that are in front of you today. When companies inevitably are hiring a new partner chief, there's some discontent somewhere within their ecosystem or within the business that they're doing. And you're right. That's the question. Hey, we're not satisfied where our partners are. We don't think we have the right partners. And you probably do have the right partners, but you probably haven't found the right plan or the right things that are going to excite them to invest and build a business around your organization or your technology or whatever it is. So I always take the approach is I don't think that we found the right formula yet to get you excited about whatever technology we're selling to get you to co-invest in building a business together um, because that takes a lot of work. And so, but you're right. Inevitably, everybody thinks that there's something wrong with their ecosystem, but uh, there probably isn't. You just probably haven't found the right tools or resources to get them excited about your technology and your go-to-market model. Yeah. You know, and this is where I think a contradiction comes up because, and I, I really, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this because you're right. They think that they don't have the right partners, but they readily accept too many people in our business 
readily accept Pareto's premise that everything boils down to 80-20. That, you know, I go in there and I'm doing channel assessments and I'm looking at the data and, you know, frankly, it's not 80-20, it's like 95-5. 95% of channel revenue goes through the top 5% of partners. And it's hard to actually change that ratio. You you start playing with the levers and it and it's really hard to move the needle down to create equity within program requirements and expectations in order to get those numbers down. But still, whenever you talk about this, everybody will then turn to me. I've, I've been in numerous meetings where they just turn to me and go, well, yeah, that's 80-20. And they think that that's fine. So is that a, do you think that's a contradiction? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think I haven't met a single company that hasn't recruited or signed up more partners than they actually have the the resources to foster and build that relationship. Every company does it under the sun because, I mean, we all have limited resources in the work that we do, uh, whether it be dollars or people in the field that manage those partnerships or technical people to help get them trained and excited and, 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 uh, and building services around your technology. You only have certain resources. You only have certain number of partners you can apply those to. But everyone, for whatever reason, has signed up more partners than they have the capacity to serve them. And so it is a a challenge that every company has. And probably you have here, you know, every company on the planet, they want to, you know, either get rid of the partners in the tail or they want to grow the tail or they're it's a it's an interesting conundrum. Yeah, I. I'll share this with you. We just did a, a program, a partner satisfaction study and a program assessment for a company. And the big finding came back is return your partner's calls. Is that, I mean, that was the thing it was like the reason why their partner satisfaction was low was because they weren't picking up the phone. And I tell people all the time, it's like, look, you know, you want to move the needle pick up the phone and talk to these guys. And you're right, is that the resources are just too limited to scale. Yeah, that's a telltale time sign that you have entirely too many partners. I mean, you've got a company that's investing in your business and you can't actually return a phone call. You're not doing anybody a favor by having them part of your partner program and you're dissatisfying somebody out there in the marketplace. So yeah, it's uh, you're right. It's uh, limited resources. So why are we all recruiting extra partners when we don't have the capacity to serve them. Yeah. You mentioned the long tail. And so for, for, I'm sure everybody listening here understands what the long tail is, but for those who may not, I'll say the long tail is the small opportunistic, you know, infrequently transacting partners that make up the mass of any channel program. Um, and the term long tail was borrowed from Chris Anderson. The uh, He wrote a book of the same name, uh, but it was never meant to apply to channel partners. It was always about consumer buying online. Uh, so I, I consider it to be a you know somewhat bastardized in our context. But people you know understand when you say long tail, they mean small, you know infrequently transacting partners. I consider it to be a black hole is that every time I hear somebody say, let's, let's go attack the, the long tail, let's go invest in it, let's try to grow it. I'm like going, okay, you're throwing money away because they're not going to be interested. No, you're not going to move a mass of them. You may move one or two. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, when we hear about this, there's always this, this obsession that the long tail has some, some diamonds in the rough, but at the same time, they'll always point and say, but we only want good ones. 
So right. how do you how do you balance those two thoughts? Those two yeah. those two conflicting thoughts. <laughs> we are not a volume based business here at Tanium, um, and it's it, I think it's a lot more prevalent in the volume based business that that you, you lower dollar value transactional very you know transaction oriented uh, technology. We are certainly not one of those, um, but. Um, you know, you're right. It's like, Hey, I'm going to want to make an investment. And if I could get one or two more additional transactions from these thousands of partners that are down there, you know, think about how much more it's going to actually do for my business. But if you think about that, every dollar you invest or every minute or hour of your time that you spent in doing that, it's a minute or an hour or a dollar less than you're spending on the folks that actually can grow your business significantly more. Do I think every once in a while that there is a diamond in the rough? I do, but I don't think it's a, you, you mentioned the word small, and then you mentioned the word low transaction volume. Those could be, you know, two different things. There could be a very large partner that you just haven't done anything with that's very low transaction volume with you. So they're stuck down in your tail and they could be that elusive diamond in the rough, but I'm not a huge advocate of, yeah, let's do something to kind of lift up that whole tail because you're taking away resources that you can be investing in the partners that are actively investing in you, that there's always significantly more room for growth. I mean, look, look at some of the transacting partners or the system integrators that exist in the United States or in Europe, and they have 3,000 and 4,000 sellers that are actively out there talking to customers. Well, I guarantee you no company out there is doing business with 100% of the sellers that are out there or 100% of the sales engineers. So there's always room to grow. And um, so I'm a big advocate in investing in the partners that are investing in you already. Yeah. And yeah, and everyone just keep in mind, CDW can be a long tail partner to you. You know, so just because they're big, it doesn't mean that they're automatically on a vault to the top of your list. That's not the one that came to the top of my mind, but it was in that same kind of category. But, <laughs> but, but you, but you are exactly right. If if you only do one or two transactions with a CDW or Insider or an SHI or a Computer yeah. Center or an SCC, well, maybe you are missing an opportunity there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the, is it better to seek and find you know partners out in the wild? If you're going to go out there and look at look for new partners, is it better to seek and find select non select ones with at least the right raw attributes that you can develop? Or are you do you think that we spend too much time looking for ready made partners that are you know because again I'm always hearing we got to hit the ground running, we got to get that first transaction. Um, so which do you, which do you think is the better course is to develop over time or to try to find those quick hits? Yeah. You know, I think it all depends. I worked for a security company a few years ago, a different security company a few years ago, and we saw the migration of dollars going from the CISO to the gentleman who ran the data center or the IT, the head of IT. Mm -hmm. They were getting more and more of the security dollars and they were putting security inside the data center as opposed to the CISO. And so we made a concerted effort to go to the legacy infrastructure systems integrators and try to help them build out a security practice. It was really hard to do. It was really hard to do because it's a competency and in the sales organization and in the technical organization that's very different from what they do today. 
and it takes a big investment on their part. So uh, we probably hit on, you know, 10% of those partners at the time that we were going to help help them build out a security practice because we thought it would be good for their business. And I thought that they were playing in a really good niche. It was much harder than we ever anticipated on doing. So um, I think you have, they have to possess some of the core competencies that you look for. Do they sell into the market segment that you care most about? Because if they don't, you know, you can't get a company that sells in this SMB space to sell into the global enterprise. It doesn't work. Right. You know, if they, if they sell, different versions of technologies, if they sell into the, you know, uh, line of business versus the IT organization. So I think some of those things are critically important when you're making those decisions. So I don't think it's as easy as everyone thinks to find a partner that's never done this before and train and coach and how to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're talking about reaching in and speak in alignment based on the partner attributes of what they're good at today and whether they're doing it directly or they're, they at least are adjacent to it. Right. That's right. That's yeah. right. You know, if, if you're selling, you know, compute and networking storage is adjacent to that and it's complementary to it. And a lot of the skills and ca- capabilities that your team already possesses are transferable, but going from that to security or IOT, it, it, it's very, very different. Yeah, it's it really is too bad that none of the vendors actually know anything about their partners. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, well, no, I mean, look, I, I know that. It, yeah, OK, I got a laugh out of it. And I'm sure somebody out there is laughing about this watching, you know, while they're watching. But the truth is, is that, you know, there's a few companies out there that the vendors, I'm not going to say you because, you know, but I'm saying that there are companies out there. And I know this firsthand because I work with them. They may know, like you mentioned, CDW and SHI, they know what they do. Yep. You know, you, you get it on the street and you start talking with Presidio. You know what Presidio does, or Optive. But yep. you start getting you start getting beyond the first, you know, two dozen, that, tran- that tranche of a couple of dozen top partners. They know nothing about them. It's really hard to maintain awareness about what those partners do. I mean, it, it, from my perspective, this is a big, there's a big knowledge gap in between what the vendors think they know versus what's actually going on in the market. I de- definitely agree with that. And I think there's an added complexity to it as well, too, is a lot of those organizations have grown through acquisition over the year and they will let that acquisition run autonomously for a little while. And so the skills and capabilities in an organ at one of those companies in one geography could be vastly different than they are in another geography or their area of expertise and focus could be vastly different in one geography or another. So I think there's some complexity in there as well, too, that maybe everyone doesn't consider. Yeah. Not to mention you know, managing and maintaining databases is hard. You know, it's, it's, I, I, I last night I got home, I got a card from, Let's just say I got a card from an association addressed to somebody who hasn't been on my team in six years and it came to my home address. I'm like, okay, that's a pretty telltale sign that managing databases is hard. That's exactly, that's exactly. If if only we knew anybody who knew anything about that. Unfortunately, unfortunately we don't. (laughs) Let's talk about the other side of this. So, uh, you know, vendors say they want the right partners. Well, do the vendors have any responsibility uh, to demonstrate that they're the right vendors to the partners. 
what is it that vendors need to do to demonstrate, you know, to show the vendors that they're worth investing in and working with? We understand your business. We understand your value proposition. We understand your brand in the marketplace or why people invest in you and your technology. And you understand how they make money and what they're trying to do. I mean, it's, um, it's, we expect it as a vendor. We expect that from our partners. Our partners should expect that of their vendors as well too. And not only at the top of the organization, but all the way down the stack from the president of the company down to the sales rep for a vendor should know that about the partners that they go to market with. Hey, I know the value that you add. I know what it is you're trying to get done here. So, and I know how you get paid and I know how you guys get compensated. And I'm going to make sure that what we're doing together aligns. That should be a given. In fact, you know, many companies that that I've worked for, that's what we ensured that we do is that every person that interacts with those partners in the field, if you expect your partner to know your value proposition, we should know their value proposition equally as well, because we've got to communicate that out to the customers. Hey, the reason why we want to work with so-and-so is because this is the value that they can add to you and your business if you already don't know them. I think they should hold all of their vendors accountable to those basic things. Yeah. And again, come- back to our conversation, that's easy to do for the 80 or the 20. It's harder to do for, you can't do that for everybody in the stack, right? And, right. and the partners can't know that about every one of the vendors on their line card either. So, Todd, does that, what you just said though, does that point to perhaps some unrealistic expectations within the vendor organization, whether it's coming from a leadership team or even something that's developed inside of a channel team that says that there should be more coming out of the partners, even if you're not engaging with them? I think so. I think it all depends on the organization that you're part of and their understanding of you know, an indirect route to market or the different partner types that are out there. I mean, there are still some executives out there that believe that, hey, we, you know, signed up to do business with this organization. Why are they not selling my products? Um, uh, You know, you just hope you're not working for one of those organizations that has those totally unrealistic expectations. And for the folks that are in my role, Um, we spend a disproportionate amount of our time educating all the folks that we work with about, you know, how to maximize these relationships and and what partners need. So um, I think some of it could come from, yeah, unrealistic expectations or just not knowledgeable about what it is that we do and how this ecosystem works. Right. Does the customer have a say in any of this? Because oftentimes customers are a really good identifier of a of a new or potentially good partner. I mean, they're the ones that are already buying from them many times when you discover the partner. So does the customer have a say in determining what is the right partner? A hundred percent. And and but I want to kind of break that question up into a couple of parts. <clears throat> um we expect if our sales team and we've got three to four partners in a specific sales region that's made a big investment in our in our in our company and they've got skills and capabilities that can help i fully expect our team to be walking in there saying hey we'd really like to work with you on this project with x y and z because this is the value that they can add to help you become more successful we should be advocating for that partner and this goes back to what we said earlier we should know the brand 
And we should know the value proposition of that partner and communicate it effectively. I do not want my sellers walking in saying, hey, who do you buy from? I'll run the sales cycle and we'll transact it through whoever it is that you buy from. That's a very little value to me. And it's probably a very little value to most organizations. Um, and so, you know, you expect your sales organization to be very prescriptive of who they want to work with. That said, I also expect our sales organization to constantly be asking their customers, who is it that you turn to to give you advice on security architecture? Or who is it that you turn to or you trust that's going to do global deployments of your technology? Because, you know, we're going to find out that, by the way, that might be a partner that's in our, you know, in our program somewhere that we might not have been paying as much attention to as we could. And they've got a extreme capability. So I definitely, I definitely think that, that our customers, uh, we, we want to know who they turn to and the largest global organizations on the planet turn to large percentage of their projects, seven to eight organizations for guidance and advice. And if you want to work in the global enterprise, you've got to work with them. And so, yeah, I think they play a big role. Yeah. How about distribution? We, there's a lot of people out there, you know, people in your role who are questioning the value and the necessity for selling through distribution. Um, there are many people I speak with who talk about distribution, haven't seen better days, that it doesn't serve the function that it used to. Is distribution an equalizer um, or enabler of managing the differences between right partners, good performing partners, potential partners, and the long tail? Yeah. I mean, I understand why the question comes up now about is their value still the same as it was? And, you know, certainly those big cloud providers are making it more challenging in there, but I think distribution still serves a very valuable person. It depends on what business you're in. If you're a very low volume, big, huge, massive, large transaction organization, distribution is going to play a different role for you. If you're a volume-based business, I think they play a big role. So I'll tell you how we're leveraging distribution because we kind of fall into the, we're not super high volume, but we're, we're more than low volume. And, and we rely on distribution because there are some markets that we can't get into or we're not going to hire a team of resources in there. So they're providing uh, professional services for, you know, their their partners to subcontract. They're providing support for our technology. They're providing unique licensing and and uh, capabilities or contractual capabilities throughout the organization. So I think their role is morphing a little bit. I think that the you know whole value versus volume distribution. <clears throat> I think there will always be a big role for the value added distributors in the marketplace. Um, I think the volume oriented distributors or world is going to change a little bit as about as a lot of companies are buying, I'll go straight to AW. I'll do the research on my own and I'll go to AWS and buy whatever I want. Hmm. Different role than for distribution's got to play. Yep, absolutely. Todd, we're just about out of time. I I, I want to ask you is, you know, again, looking at your history, you've seen a lot, you've done a lot over the years. What do you know now that you didn't know 20 years ago? What what advice would you give to someone just starting out when if they said to you, hey, we need to go get the right partners? I think the advice that I'd give to someone that was starting out right now is, and it kind of ties into the question about which is the right partners, but you have to be 100% in alignment 
with your chief revenue officer and your sales teams in the field about what partners that you are going to go to market with because everyone plays a role in being successful and growing your business and that partner's business. And that is missed a lot of the time at many organizations. So you should be able to walk to any sales rep and pick the town in the United States or in Germany or in France, you know, who are the three to four partners that are most important to our business that we're all investing in. Everyone should be able to rattle that off. And that's critically important because, you know, I often tell people this is partnering is all about people. It's not about the organization. It's about the sales reps on the field. Do they know, like, and trust and respect the their peer in the sales organization, that partner? Do our technical teams respect the skills and the talents that that team have? Do we understand the value that they add actually to the go-to-market model? Alignment. There's nothing more important. Internal alignment between the partner organization, the sales organization about the partners you're going to go to market with and the role that they're actually going to play and the role everybody in the organization plays to help support those partners. That I think is the by far the most important thing that has to happen for this to be successful in any company. Very good. Well, Todd, I really appreciate you joining us here on Changing Channels. This has been a great conversation. Thanks a lot. Larry, thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Again, that's about all the time we have for this episode of Changing Channels. I want to thank our guest, Todd Palmer of Tanium, for joining us. And I want to thank all of you for joining us again. Technology is changing the world, and Channelnomics is tracking how the channel is bringing technology to market to create value for vendors and customers. So I'll see you again next time. Thank you for joining Changing Channels with Larry Walsh, a production of Channelnomics, with the support of our production team at Modern Podcasting. If you've enjoyed today's episode, hit the like button, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and share with your friends. For more information about Channelnomics services and insights, follow us on Twitter and YouTube, and check out our website at channelnomics.com. Channelnomics is a registered trademark of and Changing Channels is copyright by 2112 Enterprises, LLC.